welcome back. Hello. <laughs> We're so glad to be here today. We are. We're very excited to record. I am very excited. Yeah. I don't know why. Me well, too. I feel like we've just had larger gaps between recording because of yeah. the way our weekends have worked out lately. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But it's all good. Uh, I'm Bryn. I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. Yes, we wanted to start off with a story today <laughs> because it was very fitting. By the time you hear this, it'll be three weeks since it's happened, <laughs> but this happened yesterday. Very, actually, there's a couple things that have happened involving what we're going to be talking about with the other, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just get into it. <laughs> yeah. Instead of signing. Like, yeah. I'm she's like, like doing sign language. I'm like pointing out yeah. the window. So... Okay, there's this trail that we go walk the dogs on, and we've been walking them for, like, a year since we got them, because they're almost a year old, Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of the trail, where you walk, like, onto the trail from your car, last year we noticed it was, like, a horrible, horrible smell, like, rotting something. Decaying. Decaying. Something. Yeah. And we were like, what is that? There has to be, like, a dead deer back there, or, like... A dead animal that's just decaying. Or just really bad smelling garbage that was someone's like leftover chicken or something. Something. But it was decay. Yeah. So in the summer, we couldn't see because it was like obviously very full and green and you couldn't see into the bushes. Yeah. Yeah. But when the winter came, (laughs) all of that died obviously. So it made a bigger gap so we could see where like the smell was coming from. Mm And there was three black garbage Plastic bags. Plastic garbage bags. So we were like, okay, this is kind of fucking sketch. Right? Like, that's where the smell is coming from. Our dogs go there every time we come to the trail because they, like, you know, obviously can smell it. Yeah. And so we were walking. And remember, we, we smelt this first, like, a year ago, last summer. Yeah, and it's still kind of smell. And the dogs would still want to go towards these bags every yeah. time on the trail. But obviously, the, we had had a lot of snow here, too, so we couldn't kind of get to them till now. Yeah, yeah. It literally just melted. Yeah. So, me and Bryn were like, you know, we'll just, like, walk on the trail, whatever, and on the way back, she's like, we should open the bags. We've been talking about it. We should just do it, because what if something's in there? The thing that's weird, too, is we weren't even supposed to walk on the trails yesterday. Yeah. We were at the gym, and after... Just spur the moment we were like, you know what, let's go for a walk on the trail because we didn't do the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. And then the way back, we started talking about this ghost man that everyone's seen on the trail. And I'm not fucking kidding you. This man is real. (laughs) But he's a a ghost. Yeah. It's so fucking terrifying. Yeah. And I said to Kelsey, oh my God, what if ghost man is in those bags, and he's been trying he's to, like tell. Trying to tell us. Yeah. So, we were like, okay, let's just open them. Let's just open them. Side note, this ghost man, me and Carson both saw him while we were walking Bixby, and then mom saw him separately when she was walking Indy by herself. So, basically, the story is, and we came together and told each other, and we were like, what the fuck? We saw the same thing. Um, it was different days, and we leave our dogs off of the leash um, when we go on walks, Until we see somebody, and then we quickly grab them and put them on a leash. So in the distance, me and Carson see this man walking towards us in all black. Black hat, black sweatshirt, black pants. So we're like, oh shit, we gotta grab Bixby and put her on the leash. Yeah. So we reach down to grab her and hook her on the leash, and as we look up, there's nobody fucking there. Yeah. And there was clearly a human walking towards us. And the same type of thing happened to mom. Maybe we should have her tell it as a listener story. Yeah. Because she called me as it was happening because she's like, I need you on the phone with me just in case this man's like a creep or something. Like trying to be like weird and jump out at me. Yeah. Yeah. So it happened to her basically. We told each other we're like now we're convinced that there's like a a spirit of somebody for whatever reason walks on the trail. So back to the other day. (laughs) No. <laughs> we decided to open the fucking bags. Yeah. And it was a whole <laughs> fiasco that we have videos of. Because <laughs> we're like, let's record this just in case, God forbid, it's something that shouldn't be there. Right. And... And we don't want to be tampering with yeah. it or moving things. First, we tried to rip open the bags with sticks. <laughs> and I had one and she had the other and we stabbed the bag and pulled separate ways to yeah. like rip open. And to make it even sketchier, the one we did this to was double 
fucking bag. It was double black carpenter bagged. Weird as hell. Yeah. So then I'm like, shit, I have scissors in my car. Yeah. So I ran in my car, grabbed the scissors, came back, and we're like, (laughs) should we tell him about the guy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're, like, pinching this thing, like, trying not to touch it. I'm just, like, stabbing it with the scissors. As, but meanwhile, as soon as we poked a hole in it, it smelled so bad. So and I, I said bad. to Kelsey, I'm 99% sure there are bones in this. Yeah, so it's fucking bones. bad. Yeah. So then this guy's walking off the trail, and he sees us and like, in the brush, and he's like, are you guys okay? I'm like, oh my god, he thinks we're weirdos. I was like, what do I say to him? So I just word vomited, and I was like, um, so we've seen these bags here, and they smell really bad, so we decided to cut them open. And he's like, do you need gloves? And he just threw plastic gloves yeah. at us, and we were like, thanks. Gloves. And he's like, oh, maybe it's a hunter discarded its deer carcass, and he's like, or maybe it's a body. And, and Kelsey really and I are like, what? Like, is this the guy that dumped it? Yeah. Um, so we get the gloves on, we're cutting open the bag, and immediately we see bones. Legit bones and an eyeball. Like a a bag of An eyeball. A fucking eyeball. An eyeball. An eyeball! (laughs) Oh, we started screaming, kind of, because it just smelled so bad, and I ended up calling the police, and the police came... She's like, should I call the police? I was like, yeah, we don't know whose bones or what bones they are. Yeah. And then I ended up, long story short, telling the cop about our podcast. (laughs) She repped our fucking podcast (laughs) to the stage of her. Well, I was like, he's like, well, thank you for calling. We're going to bring people in here to check out this. He's like, I think it could be an animal because, right. ga- like, fishing game people might dispose. But he's like, God forbid the other bags are full of not animal remains. Yeah, human something. remains. Yeah, that's like, what he so said. I'm going to cut them open and we'll yeah. go from there. And I was like, yeah, we figured better to be safe than sorry to call you, you know. Uh... I was like, well, we have, I was like, because we have a true crime podcast, (laughs) and it's called called Crime Calls and Coffee, so we really overthink situations like this. He started cracking up. (laughs) He was, like, a younger cop. This poor man had to go and, like, open up all these bags in the middle of the night. I actually felt bad for him. He was, like, by himself until backup came. bye, you can leave now. I was like, you have to go open those bags in the dark by yourself. Yeah. It was sketchy. But yeah, that was our story. Long story short. I mean, we're assuming they were just animal bones because we haven't gotten any phone calls since then. If you'd like to see the video of us (laughs) freaking the fuck out. (laughs) Well, at one point, too, something vibrated and Kelsey (laughs) screamed and then I was just like, what? (laughs) I guess it was the way, like, the bone shifted in the bag as we were, like, moving it and it felt like a vibration and I flipped out (laughs) and I dropped the bag. She's like, what? What? Yeah, the video's... I can promise you are very chaotic, and most of the time you see the ground and yeah. trees because I was holding it while talking to the guy that was throwing gloves yeah. at us or whatever, and then the, we I did show the inside of the bags. Yeah, you can see the bones. Yeah. <laughs> with all the bugs crawling on them. Yeah, there were a lot of maggots. Fucking nasty, yeah. but yeah. <sighs> Back to our Goose problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Um, um, yeah, we don't we, know if the other bags were human or not, but hopefully no. Yeah, I'm assuming not because we didn't get the phone call, but, sure. uh, before we continue on to our coffee review, mm-hmm. I was reading my brother's Jeopardy calendar with him, oh, and yeah. I want to read you a little <laughs> Jeopardy question, because I thought it was so fucking funny. Am I going to get it right? You, probably, okay. yeah. All right. You so. printed <laughs> What? Did you print it out? No, it's from the calendar. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, so everyone, I hope you appreciate this, because I was cracking up, and when I read it again, my brother, Casey, he started, like, hysterically laughing, too, so. <laughs> Am I going to mess this up? Okay, so no. it's about, the category is their tribute band. Okay. And it says, <laughs> <laughs> it says, nuns and Moses. <laughs> nuns and Moses. Who both dress and shred religiously. <laughs> Who are they a cover band for? I don't know. Nuns and Moses. Oh, Guns and Roses. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That's really funny. Who both dress and shred religiously. <laughs> I like that they added in religiously. Yeah. Nuns and oh my god, that's Nuns and so Moses. I kind of want to go see Nuns and Moses when cover when uh, COVID's over. Oh my god, it'd be perfect for that picture. <laughs> Nuns and Moses. Oh my I god, that's so that. funny. So creative. Love it. Oh god. All, All right. right. 
So, coffee, coffee review. Today we are re- reviewing, once again, Pinon Coffee. Yeah, New Mexican Pinon. Yes. Thank you so much for sending two bags. If you remember, we did a full review on them in episode 20, which was Drew Molinari's case. Um, and that was their Biscochito flavor. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to hear their whole biography that we got online from them, mm-hmm. you can check out episode 20. Today's flavor is the traditional pinon. Yep. And just a reminder, <clears throat> their Instagram handle is at nmpinoncoffee, and they are located in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Love it. Yeah. So... The coffee today is a medium roast, and it actually came whole bean, which was nice. Mm-hmm. And it's inspired by the pinon nut native to the southwest. Yum. So I'm going to read a little blurb that they had actually sent us to read for you guys. Cool. They said, um, <clears throat> a brief overview of our company is that we've been roasting coffee in Albuquerque since 1994, and that we created the original pinon coffee. All of our coffees are completely naturally flavored and contain no artificial ingredients. Hell which yeah. is Yes, yeah, so good. <laughs> and we're the largest coffee roaster in the state of New Mexico, roasting over 1 million pounds of coffee a year. Holy shit. Which is insane. That's a lot of pounds. We can be found in grocery stores and specialty markets throughout the country, but NewMexicoPinonCoffee.com, so it's NMPinonCoffee.com, Always has the widest selection. We also just started offering free shipping on all orders within the U.S., which is a pretty big deal for us. That's huge. Please let us know if there's anything else you need. We're looking forward to having you try our coffee. Oh. They're so sweet. And, I mean, I have liked both that they've sent us. Me too. It, do you want to describe the taste of this one? or? Yeah. So, this is the original, but like she said, um, it has the pinon um, nut flavor in there. So, I would describe this one best as being really nutty. Yeah, definitely. Like, it smells nutty, it tastes nutty, and the aftertaste is even nutty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a medium roast, so it's not too strong, but I think it's perfectly, you know... It's not too light and it's not too strong. Yeah. So I think it's right there in the middle. Yeah. It's definitely, as we've described other coffees, a neutral coffee. Mm-hmm. Since it's their original, original. flavor, mm-hmm. you can kind of add any creamer to it and it would pick up those uh, notes of the, or flavor of the creamer. Mm. And yeah. I mean, I think... I think that the more and more I sip on it, the more I like it. I think as it's cooling down, it tastes better. Mm-hmm. Is that weird? I feel like that's never happened before. Really? I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. It's growing on me. Like, as it's cooling down, it's getting better for me. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a little bit bitter when I first sipped it, and now that's not really there anymore. I know. I don't know. It's really, um, it, I think it's it's a very nutty coffee though Mm -hmm. it's not overpowering but it's it's definitely there that's the thing that I taste the most Mm -hmm. and it's definitely a strong a stronger on the stronger side yeah and me personally I like coffees with flavor in them a lot of people do not so I definitely liked their Biscochito better. Um, I loved that one. It was so fucking good Mm -hmm. it literally tasted like you were dipping a cookie in the coffee yeah it was so good um but this one's also a really good option as well how would, would you, you rate it? I'd probably give this one a 7. I'm I'm leaning 7, 7.5 out yeah. of 10 coffee beans. Coffee beans, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a really good option, but um, the Biscochito has my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and I told them already, New Mexico Pinon Coffee, we will be ordering more bags from you because yes. they have other... Uh, not I don't want to say flavors. They right. have other other different bags, different with, types different of coffee notes, yeah. with yeah with different notes that sound absolutely delicious. So good. Yeah. Thank you so much for sending us two bags. You have two new customers. Yes, <laughs> and we really appreciate it. And I'm sure you will have more from our listeners because our listeners have been really good with ordering coffee from the coffee places that have sent us stuff. Which is amazing. That's what we wanted. We wanted to bring awareness to coffee places literally everywhere, and especially ones that are as good as these. Um, so our listeners have taken our word for it, and they've been buying coffee left and right, which is awesome. Yeah. And I will gladly add this one to our coffee tour. I would love to go to New Mexico. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Can we? Yeah, please. That'd be nice. And I want to try the traditional pinon coffee or cookie. Ooh, you're right. In New Mexico. With. With coffee. pinon coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want to get started? Yeah. All right, so grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So today, don't hate us. <laughs> <laughs> it might happen. Don't come at us. Don't judge me. Yes. We looked up pronunciations, and there is a <laughs> shitload of them. We are covering a case that has a lot of Russian names, Russian words, Russian places, and we're going to do our very, very best to say them correctly. I have zero Russian in me, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to try. Yeah. We know we do have Russian listeners, so please, please don't hate us. Let us know, actually. Just correct us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to try our very, very best. Yes. So today we are covering the case bum, bum, bum. of Rasputin, and I have been obsessed with the Romanovs and really Rasputin since I was little. I since didn't know I saw that. the movie Anastasia, I didn't I know that. Love everything about like the Romanovs. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, I learned something new every day. Mostly I didn't Anastasia. Know anything. <laughs> Mostly Anastasia. That's always just fascinated me. Yeah. Just the whole entire situation. Okay. Which maybe we can cover the Romanovs part Different. in the future. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, but yeah, today we're going to be talking about Gregory Rasputin. I'm excited. So. It's a little different than what we usually do, but it's cool. Yeah, he, well, I don't know if people know the whole ending of the story, mm -hmm. but it does go with crime cults and coffee. It does. <laughs> yes. It does. Yes. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit of background about Gregory before we get started. He was born Gregory Yef Yefimovich Rasputin, and he was born January 21st, 1869 in Siberia, and this was also known as Siberia Grigori, which I'm assuming is the, the part of it. Yeah, I think it's the town where he was. Yeah, it was part of the Russian Empire at the time, and it was actually in a Siberian village of Pokrovsky on the Tora River. And Rasputin had really pale green eyes. Like, any article or other podcast or documentary or movie about him always points out his eyes because they were almost like piercing yeah and i think it's part of his charm and his whole thing and his like hypnosis or yeah, whatever that yeah comes with him. yeah so yefim rasputin was his dad and he was a farmer and a church elder and a government courier and his mom was anna parishkova and they actually had seven other children who all died in infancy and early adulthood. Wow, which is just a lot. so awful. I feel like that was pretty common, though, for the, that time. Yeah. And there actually may have been a ninth child, because obviously Rasputin was the eighth. Yeah. Um, Theodosia. And according to a historian, this is a quote, according to historian Joseph, Joseph T. Furman, Rasputin was certainly close to Theodosia and was godfather to her children, but the records that have survived do not permit us to say more than that. That's yeah, from so Wikipedia, which lost. is kind of... Yeah, I mean, you. everyone listening is going to see during this whole thing, there's a lot of contradictive information and lost or unknown information. Or, like, dramatic... Like, rumored information. Yeah, dramatic things of actually what didn't happen, but, like, that snowballed off of it. Yeah, because it's kind of hard to differentiate, and we tried our best doing so, between what's fact and, and what's, rumor. like, yeah. turned into this fairy tale thing, almost. Yeah. yeah. So, Rasputin is Russian for debauched one. Did I say that right? Yeah. That's really sucky for their family, the debauched one. Yeah, that's like, I don't know. Yeah. So the family was actually described as peasants, and he wasn't very religious in his younger years, and he was not formally educated, which I had actually heard was pretty popular during that time, yeah. to not be literate. Right. And have a, a big education. Mm -hmm. And he was actually illiterate into early adulthood. Wow. Archive records show he was possibly involved in drinking, small thefts, and disrespect towards authorities in his youth. And there's rumors about more than that, but they said 
according to documents and stuff that they found, those anything more than what I just said isn't true. Yeah. So, according to historian Douglas Smith, quote, Rasputin's youth and early adulthood are a black hole about which we know almost nothing. So, there are a lot of fabricated stories out there, as yeah. we said. He was kind of... He, he's a huge uh, figure in Russia, like, a no, hugely known figure in Russia, mm-hmm. but he was almost made into this mythical person. Right. And in 1886, he traveled to Abalak, Russia, and he actually met a peasant girl, Praskovia Dubrovina, and they married... February 1887, and she remained devoted to him his whole life, even with all the things we're going to tell you about. That sucks. They had seven children, but only three survived to adulthood, which is odd because his parents also had seven. Like I said, I feel like it was common. Yeah. Like, kids got sick then, and they didn't have modern medicine. and Yeah. So, the three that survived were Dimitri, he was born in 1895, Maria, she was born in 1898, and Varvara, she was born in 1900. So, Rasputin actually had a spiritual awakening in 1897 when he was 28 years old. He was visiting a monastery on a pilgrimage, because he started going on pilgrimages, and St. Nicholas Monastery at Vercatorie is where he went on, on this pilgrimage to. Like, you're probably wondering why, after not being religious his entire life, he wanted to go on a pilgrimage, but Mm -hmm. a lot of um, articles said that it was an escape from punishment for his theft back in his town. Um, He had a vision of the Virgin Mary, or St. Simeon of Vercatorie. That was another reason. Um, It was inspired by a young theological student, um, Maleti Zabravoski. And the last reason was potentially um, he was in an emotional or spiritual crisis. So he needed to go and do these pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. He actually up and left his family to go on these. And his family eventually moved with him to St. Petersburg, which is where he stayed for a while. Um, and he supported his wife and his children there. But that took a while. He was he was running around for a while. Yeah, they were in Siberia for yeah. a good amount of time. yeah. He met and was changed by an elder named Macari, or Macari. Uh, he returned to the town where his family was, and he was—he said he was a quote-unquote changed man. He was disheveled, behaved differently, became vegetarian, and didn't drink alcohol anymore, and he was praying a lot. Okay, I mean... He, he had a changing in his life. Yeah, I... The vegetarianism and... Not drinking alcohol and praying more. I don't see those as bad mm-hmm. things. No. Like, to want to make those changes in your life, but... If I just don't know where the flip, the switch flipped in his head for the, what's about to come. You know? Like, the rest of his... Yeah. Story. Yeah. I don't know. And in case you guys didn't notice, he goes by one name, like Madonna. He's Rasputin. He's Rasputin. <laughs> He's that cool. Yeah. <laughs> He believed and practiced Eastern Orthodox Christianity, which was a popular faith in Russia at that time. He'd randomly up and leave after this, sometimes leaving for months or years at a time, like we said earlier. His poor family, though. I know. And his his wife had children to take care of by herself. Mm Mm-hmm. He was... His personality was described as hypnotic, which we mentioned earlier, his charisma is actually what got his uh, him attention from people in power, like higher-ups. Um, you know, people talked, and it got the attention of people in power. Mm-hmm. It was thought by some that he had dark magic. Mystical religions figure... Uh, he was a mystical religious figure in Russia. So a lot of people just looked at him as, like, something different, something out of the ordinary as far as religion goes. Like, he wasn't following the standards of their of mm-hmm. the religion. He was a self-proclaimed holy man. Mm, just like Korish! Seems to be a theme. <laughs> um, so this is a little side note here. You'll see later down the road when we talk about it a little bit more. He never took holy orders to be, you know, a priest or a minister at the time. Or he a just, monk or anything. Yeah, he was just self-proclaimed and just felt like he could make up his own stuff. He just raised his hand. 
I was like, you it's know? me. It's me. I am the next prophet. <laughs> it's a me, a Mario. It's a me, a Mario. <laughs> um, let's see. He's been described as a monk or a stranic, um, which meant a wanderer or a pilgrim. He held no official position in the Rus- Russian Orthodox Church, which I said earlier. In the early 1900s, he had a small circle of followers, mostly family and local peasants in the area that he lived. Um, He would pray with them on Sundays, uh, which were the holy days when he was in town. He built a makeshift chapel in his father's root cellar. And these are all rumors, but it was said that female followers were ceremonially washing him before each meeting. Fucking gag me. I know. The group sang strange songs, and Rasputin had joined the Clist. (laughs) Clist. Yes. Clist. Yeah. It's Clist. Make sure you say the S before the T. Clist. 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 Which was a (laughs) religious sect whose rituals were rumored to include self-flagellation and sexual orgies. Mm. So, cult-like. Very cult-like. Yeah. Very cult-like. Yeah. I actually had heard regarding the Clist, whether he was a member or not, they will never formally know. Like, they've looked into it. Yeah. I know as recently as 2004 they looked into it. Yeah. But members of this clist would do things rumored, were rumored to do things such as cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read that too. Literally chopping or eating children. Ew. This is going to be graphic. <laughs> Sorry, should have said that. Uh... A set one ceremony ritual type thing was literally chopping a woman's breast off and eating it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's fucking yeah. nasty. And just like things like the bathing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that they mentioned just now. Yeah, ew. Um, he was now known at this point in time as Russia's quote unquote mad monk. Which is interesting that they would describe him as mad, but people were looking up to him. Maybe that's the way they kind of saw uh, the mystical as being mad. I think maybe the mad came from the people that were higher in power that didn't want him to be known as this mystical person. Like, they think they're coming at it as the angle is, he's crazy, don't listen to him. Because they were threatening, later on, you'll see, he threatens their power. Yeah, it's strange, though, because there were a lot of, uh, uh, there were a lot of aristocrats that were intrigued by him. Yeah. So now I'm going to get into the relationship with the Romanovs, <laughs> which may, you may or may not know, the Romanov family was in power in Russia at this time. Uh-huh. So... Basically, he, uh, Rasputin, traveled to St. Petersburg in 1903 or the winter of 1904-1905. There's not really an exact timeline. Uh, Some church and social leaders were fascinated by him, and he became an important figure in society. He was the holy man that could help people resolve their spiritual crises and anxieties. He was basically Mm -hmm. like the healer they saw him as. So he was introduced to church leaders. One was Archimandrite Theophan, who was well-connected in St. Petersburg society. And he gained Rasputin entry to many influential places where he met higher-ups and aristocrats. Sorry. Aristocrats. (laughs) That was like his inn. Yeah. So he, yeah, made his way in there and was with those important people right away. He was like, I know someone here. Yeah. (laughs) It's all about connections, people. (laughs) Who do you know here? I know them. (laughs) So, there were alternative religious movements going on during this time, such as spiritualism and theosophy. These had become popular among the aristocrats. Basically, they were curious about the occult and the supernatural, and this obviously made them curious about Rasputin, because he was... It was different. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was different for them. Yeah. I mean... I wonder if during that time there was almost, like, a boredom of the same old yeah. stuff, you know? It was something that stirred it, everything Yeah, up. it was something that was more interesting to those people in higher power. Right, and seeing him, a peasant, being the leader of it and kind of having people Intrigued follow him. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So, he charmed some of the extended relations of the ruling Romanov family. So, this is kind of how he got in connection with them. He was, like, 
one degree away from them Mm -hmm. and became close with those people. And then he used these connections and was introduced to the Tsar and Tsarina, also known in some articles as the Emperor and Empress. Um, Tsar is spelled a couple different ways, but I'm just going to refer to them as Tsar and Tsarina. So, uh, Tsar Nicholas II and Tsarina Alexandra, or Alexandra, he met them in November 1905 at the Peterhof Palace. And Nicholas wrote to one of his ministers in 1906, quote, A few days ago, I received a peasant from the Tobolsk district, Grigory Rasputin, who brought me an icon of St. Simon, Vercatori. He made a remarkable, strong impression on both Her Majesty and on myself, so that instead of five minutes, our conversation went on for more than an hour. So he was, like, completely intrigued by him. He wrote it in his... Uh, he wrote it to a minister. Obviously, he, uh, Rasputin made an impression on him. Yeah, they were intrigued by him. Mm -hmm. They sat and talked with him for a while. Mm -hmm. So, Alexandra and Nicholas consulted spiritual advisors in the past, but Rasputin had the ability to read their inner hopes and tell them what they wanted to hear. So, we'll go back to that in a second, but... He basically encouraged Nicholas to have more confidence in his role as a czar, and Alexandra said that he soothed her anxieties. So he kind of was able to read them as people, um, read their insecurities, and kind of build off of that is what it seemed like. That's the thing that, I mean, it could have been part of who he was as a person, or it could have been something he was using to his advantage. Mm -hmm. That's something that's frequently mentioned about Rasputin is that he could read people really fucking well. Right, and some people have that ability and that he just, it seems he just used it to his advantage to climb up to where he eventually got to. Mm -hmm. Um, So Tsarina Alexandra gave birth to her only son, Alexei. He was actually a severe hemophiliac. He couldn't find any doctors that could cure or treat his condition at the time. And Rasputin said that he could treat Alexei's symptoms, quote, through prayer and faith healing. Which, if you know what hemophilia is, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, and I had heard that hemophilia ran in their family. Yeah. Zarina, uh, Alexandra's brother actually had it. Mm-hmm. So they knew... Well, she had been trying for a while, obviously, as the Tsarina and the Tsar, you want to have a... They've had all Healthy, daughters right. so far. Yeah. I I think it took her, if I remember correctly, it took her, like, ten years to finally have this son. hmm And then he was born with this condition, and they were like, oh my god, what the heck can we do to make him better? Yeah, and they couldn't figure it out. Yeah. So, Rasputin began acting as... Uh, Alexei's healer in the late ni- in late 1906. No one knows what methods Rasputin used to treat this boy, but Grand Duchess Olga, who is actually the Tsar's sister, wrote that she observed Rasputin healing Alexei, Alexei by kneeling at the foot of his bed and just praying. Mm-hmm. The calming atmosphere created a place for his recovery, which Honestly, if that helped him feel better and helped ease the anxiety of his mom, it probably did create a good space for him to have. Yeah, because it pro I mean, his mom getting that, like, the Tsarina getting that reassurance from Rasputin and calming, yeah. calming her anxieties. Probably just made probably the whole house. Probably in return yeah. made the kid, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. Alexandra's lady-in-waiting, Baroness Sophia Buxtehoven, said he employed folk medicine which was used in Siberian villages to treat internal bleeding in horses. Prayer, magic, and hypnosis, and even the placebo effect were other theories of how, you know, he healed Alexei's hemophilia. Possibly. Which is, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The the placebo effect can be really strong. Mm -hmm. Alexei wasn't cured, but symptoms were controlled by only Rasputin, which eased the pain and he stopped the bleeding several times. Um, speculation was that Rasputin controlled the bleeding by disallowing the administration of aspirin because at the time aspirin was like a cure-all medication. Um, wasn't it like the holy med? Yeah. Like they thought it like just was the best, they thought it was everything. Right. So they gave it to everybody for literally anything and obviously aspirin thins your blood Mm -hmm. and if you are hemophilia, if you have hemophilia, 
it's not going to help you at all. It's going to make it worse. You'd rather clot that blood than thin. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Rasputin threw all the medicine in a fire, which obviously included the aspirin. Um, so they're thinking that that was part of his quote-unquote healing. Mm-hmm. Zarn, go ahead. And I was going to say, and who knows... He might not have done any of this and was just literally in the right place at the right time and Alexei started feeling better as soon as he started and, like, they were like, oh, my God, Rasputin, like, you know? It was you. Like, who knows? Could have been a complete coincidence. Mm -hmm. So, Tsar Nicholas II appointed Rasputin as his lampadnik or lamplater. He kept lamps lit before religious uh, icons in the palace he gained him regular access to the palace and royal family. So now Rasputin's in. He's in with... He's in like Flynn. He is. I heard like, that sometimes he would literally just walk in there like he owned the place. Like he didn't even need an invitation anymore. And he would say their names like he was part of their family. Like he wouldn't even be like Czar Nicholas anymore. He'd be like, hey, Nick. <laughs> yeah. And like... He could because his Tsar and Tsarina thought that, you know, that he was healing their son. Yeah. And they had to keep him around. Yeah. So he was in now. Um, December of 1906, Rasputin asked the Tsar to change his surname to Rasputin Novi um, or Rasputin New. That's Uh, odd. Yeah. I don't know why he decided to do that in 1906. It's a little... But, like, also Rasputin knew. Why do you need new added to your last name? I don't know. Weird. It's just kind of odd. Yeah, so Tsar Nicholas II granted that request. He's like, whatever you want. <laughs> just show sure. my son. Yeah. Summer of 1912, Alexei, Alexei developed a hemorrhage in his thigh and groin, which car- caused a large hematoma, and he was really close to death at this point. Rasputin wrote to Tsarina Alexandra that, quote, God has seen your tears and heard your prayers. Do not grieve. The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much. So basically he's saying, like, don't allow any medicine. Like, don't allow anything to go into his body. Don't touch him. I will heal him. Mm -hmm. He'll be fine. But at the same time, back then, it was probably better off that doctors weren't bothering him too much. Right. Because they didn't have the knowledge of medicine no. that obviously doctors do now, and they could have made the situation worse. A lot worse, which they probably did before he, he came along. Yeah, so, I mean, him saying to not have the doctors bother him was actually the wise, a wise thing to do. Which nobody knew at the point yeah. at the time, yeah. but now we do. Not saying he's a fucking prophet by saying so, but I think he did make the right call with that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so, Alexei's bleeding stopped because the doctors didn't touch him. So, Dr. S.P. Fedorov, who was actually the attending physician for Alexei, admitted that, quote, the recovery was wholly inexplicable from the medical stamp- me- medical point of view. So, he was basically like, how is this happening? Like, how is he alive? Without me doing anything. Yeah. Without me treating him. Historian Robert K. Massey has called Alexei's recovery, quote, one of the most mysterious episodes in the whole Rasputin legend. So, I mean, that was a miracle in itself that the little boy survived. Right, and his parents probably, Tsar and Tsarina, probably were like, this is because of Rasputin. Yeah. When in reality, it was probably a coincidence. Yeah, or just the little things he did actually did help the situation, but... um. Who knows if he actually was or wasn't, like, magical. Yeah. You know, know. or whatnot. So, there were a bunch of rumors following Rasputin. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read everything we've found rumor-wise. <laughs> so, Rasputin was Zarina Alexandra's lover. This was one of the biggest rumors going around, uh, like, Basically, townspeople, aristocrats, religious figures. It was going throughout the entire... It was the hot goss. It was the tea. Yeah, it was. And who knows if this was or wasn't factual. Yeah. But uh, Tsar Nicholas II did not believe this. Yeah, he's like, nah. Not Alexandra. My my little Tsarina Alexandra would not want that... Rasputin. (laughs) 
So another rumor was that he bewitched the Romanovs with dark magic, and that's why they basically were bending at his every whim and mm-hmm. allowing him to be around, even with all these rumors flying around. Yeah. It was also said that he had horrible table manners and would lick his fingers after eating, which... I mean, yeah, that's gross, but back then, I feel like, didn't you eat with your fingers a lot? Well, I read that somewhere that, like, he would go, to, you know, sit down to eat, and he was so, like, disgusting at the table that, like, he would literally, like, like, rip rip the bread in half and, like, rip the fish with his hands. He was a fucking savage. And then wipe his hands on the tablecloth, and, like, yeah. he was gross. Okay. Yeah. No and, manners. No. And, like, licking your fingers, then you'd probably go and grab a cookie. Mm-hmm. And touch all, like, five five before he would Probably. He probably one. licked the cookies. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, actually, I read that he would lick the silverware, like, the spoons and stuff before other people would use them. Maybe he was putting his magic saliva on it. Freaking nasty. <laughs> Maybe that was a cure-all. I hope this one is Fuck true. the aspirin. We're spewing saliva. <laughs> Let's go. Bottle that shit. Ew, I hope this is not right. <laughs> I hope this is a rumor. So, he... This is another part of the rumor with the finger licking. <laughs> he apparently cast a spell on his female followers to kiss his freshly licked fingers and fight for his leftovers. That is fucking disgusting. Ew. Like, let me kiss your fingers. Ew, you're freshly licked, so there was still, like, Ew, gobs it. of spit on it. Stop it. <laughs> oh my god. I picture his teeth having, like, three-day-old chicken stuck in it for some reason. Ew, that was his beard, I heard. Oh my god, probably. His beard had food in it constantly. Oh god. Blech. Oh god. Yeah, he was a, a very dirty man. I look like I'm, like, somebody told me, like, a rumor. <laughs> I heard his beard. Well, we are his in the... food room. We are in the rumor section right now. True, so. true, true. So, another rumor was that he accepted bribes and sexual favors from admirers, I which like that one I don't true. doubt it. Yeah. yeah. Drunkenness and affairs with women. He visited brothels. These are, these are all alleged. Mm-hmm. And... I have a quote from Rasputin's, well, someone, that someone said about Rasputin's wife. So, quote, Rasputin's wife appeared untroubled by his infidelities, commenting, he has enough for all. Is she talking about his penis? Definitely his penis. Yes, because I heard that, like. Oh, no. I I heard that. Let me just hit you with this hot goss. I'm scared. (laughs) I heard that other women said after being with him, they literally could not be with anyone else because he was so hung. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, oh, well, yes, you did say that. I thought you were going to say, I I heard he has, like, a huge penis. Yeah. <laughs> but that's basically what you said. Yeah. But, like, why would his wife say he has enough for all? Like, that's <laughs> disgusting. Like She's like, oh, I will share. <laughs> he may share it with the world. <laughs> and that gross. was a quote from Smithsonian Magazine. So, thank it was also said... Yeah, thank you, Smithsonian, for talking about... How hung is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And probably not cleanly. <laughs> it was also said that he would conduct rituals of exorcism by violent beatings of women, who were then later subjected to sexual acts. So, if this was true, fuck you, Rasputin. I don't want a part of that. you. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. Olga Loktina, which was a high society lady, believed Rasputin was Christ, and she was the Holy Virgin, so she left her husband and children for oh him. God. There were witness witnesses, I'm sorry, that saw Rasputin beat her violently while she held his organ, <laughs> I'm assuming that means his penis, and shouted, quote, I am your lamb, and you are Christ. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up and could you imagine this witness? He probably like looked over his did shoulder. They and was like, what were the they literally were they on like like were there like pews of people sitting while he performed these acts? Like how were there wit- how was there a witness to this? It was they probably did in public and somebody walked was like, you know, walking their dog and they were like, What the fuck? And she's like, I am your lamb and you are Christ. And he's like, I'm gonna look the other way. I didn't see shit. Oh god. Okay, so there were also rumors of treason with the German Treason with the German enemy. So basically they were like, oh, he's working with the Germans and yeah. uh, he's pretty much a plant within our czar mm. and the Romanovs. Uh, that he wanted to undermine the war effort by starting a 
cholera pandemic in St. Petersburg with, quote, poison apples imported from Canada. That's very specific. And probably very false. Yeah. Because why would you want to start a pandemic with, like, poison apples from Canada? I don't know. That's just odd. Cholera does suck, though. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> where, where did the poison apples from Canada come from? I don't know. And as mentioned earlier, a member of or... Like, uh, there were rumors that he was a member of or influenced by the Klist religious sect and that he was Russia's secret ruler. So they were basically like, oh, Tsar Nicholas really isn't the ruler he is. It's Rasputin. Yeah. Yeah. And these, they're basically just the players and he's moving them around. Yeah. So moving into the downfall of Rasputin. It was bound to happen. It was definitely bound to happen. Rasputin began to use his status to his benefit, obviously, to control and influence the Romanovs in late Imperial Russia, and by the First World War, he would give advice to them regarding running the country, politics, he would recommend ministerial appointments, etc., and they would follow it. So basically, he was just telling them everything they needed to do, but he had no background knowledge of this shit. Of anything. Yeah. He had no background, nothing. Yeah, and a lot of... (laughs) people actually died in war due to some of the call, like, the calls that he made. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, this obviously pissed off Russian elites at the time, because they were like, why is this man... Who knows nothing. Who's basically, who's your, supposed to be your child's healer, calling the shots. Telling us how to do this, yeah. Yeah. It's so dumb. So, as Russia entered World War I, Rasputin predicted that, quote, calamity would befall the country. Okay. Which... I think was a pretty good prediction, but if they were already in war... I calamity's yeah, bound to happen. it's happening. <laughs> it's already happening. So Nicholas II took command of the Russian army in 1915, and uh, Tsarina Alexandra took responsibility for domestic policy. And Nicholas II left to lead Russian forces in World War I, and Rasputin helped rule the country through Alexandra while he was gone. So basically, he did whatever he wanted, and Alexandra is like, sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously she was heavily influenced by him, whether they were having a relationship or not. She believed in this man. She believed this man was healing her son. Yeah. She felt... Like, her anxieties were gone with him around. Mm -hmm. She thought he was this magical person who she could put all her trust in. And, I mean, probably not the best idea to lead a country using him, but Mm -hmm. that's just my opinion. I agree. So, he also, through all of this, he contributed to the already existing corruption and disorder of the Romanov Russia. So... Thing, it was just making the it Romanovs worse. ruling Russia. Shit was going down with them, and yeah, he was just adding to this chaos. Yeah, and most of the time, bad outcomes followed his advice. Shit went wrong because mm-hmm. he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Yeah, and the Russian people began blaming all failures on the influences of Re- of Rasputin. Some saw him as a visionary or prophet, and then others called him a quack. They were like, "No, this guy." Basically, bullshitted his way up, and he's faking all of this, and Mm -hmm. now he's, like, using it to rule the country or whatever. Yeah. He was also accused by his enemies of religious hearsay and rape, which, again, if you were raping people, fuck you, Rasputin. Right, and I don't think we added it in here, but at some point during this time... Um, Tsar Nicholas caught wind of, like, these rumors and, like, kind of what was coming to light during his downfall, mm-hmm. and he told Rasputin to leave. He told him to get out, and not even a month went by before Alexandra was like, no, he, he needs to come back, so she mm-hmm. called him back into the, to power with her. Pro- I mean, she was probably putting her child first, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, Prince Felix Yusupov began to think that the only way to end Rasputin's control over the Romanovs was death. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to restore the legitimacy of the Russian monarchy before it collapsed. Obviously, he's like, we need to do something about this. Yeah. And Prince Felix lived an aimless life of privilege, but he felt that killing Rasputin would give him a chance to reinvent himself as a patriot and a man of action. So, he was basically like... This will help me to be, well, will not only help the problem of 
like the shit Romanovs, going down yeah. in my country and the Romanovs kind of falling out of power, mm-hmm. but it'll help me be somebody. Yeah, because he like didn't he didn't do much before this. Yeah. So, welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. This is where we talk about. <laughs> hey, <the> everybody. Crime. <laughs> hey, everybody. If <laughs> we're here. So now we're going to get on to the assassination attempts against Rasputin. In 1911, Rasputin was lured into the basement where Bishop Saratov and Hermogen, who was a monk at the time, accused him of evil powers to perform miracles. They accused him of using the evil powers to perform miracles. And that then they beat him with a crucifix. That's absolutely awful. I'm I sorry. Know. I don't care. I mean... No, I shouldn't say that. Because if this man was ra- raping people, yes, you should be beat with a crucifix. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe not a <laughs> yeah, crucifix. Yeah, maybe not a crucifix. Okay, you should be beat with... No, you should be... A thrown, wooden you're stick. Be, you should be beat with a wooden spoon by grandma and thrown in jail. Yeah. But not yeah. Not a crucifix. A crucifix, that's like really I just a can't like... And a monk doing that? He was probably like, this is like gonna protect me, the crucifix. So he's basically doing an exorcism at the same time. I don't, I don't he know. He was beating him while saying, may the power of Christ compel you. Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rasputin then went running to Alexandra and said, they tried to kill me, and they were both exiled. Because she's like, we can't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next attempt was on June 27th of 1914. Um, Rasputin was 45 years old at the time. So, he then returned home to his village of Siberia, where he was attacked by a knife, with a knife, by Shionia Gusevia, who was a former sex worker. Um, He was stabbed above his navel, and then he hit her over the head with a stick. He almost bled to death. Um, The knife nicked his intestines in multiple places, was operated on in his home. Like, holy shit. I mean, he definitely should have died. He should have 100% died of, like, sepsis, at least. Um, The woman was sent to kill him by a monk named Iliador. I heard, too, that it had just missed his bladder. Like, just missed it. He should have definitely died, if not from the nicks in his intestines, but from sepsis. That's crazy. Um, Prince Felix Yusupov, who we talked about earlier, was the richest man in Russia, and he was the husband of the Tsar's only niece, whose name was Irenia. Um, he invented, he invited Rasputin over, so this was, like, his way of luring him in, because we talked about Prince Felix earlier wanting to, you know, end Rasputin, as that was the only option. So, he invited Rasputin over, saying that he wanted him to meet his wife, and he actually led a group of nobles um, in Lord Rasputin to Yusupov's residence, the basement of the Moika Palace. Um, so this was his basement, basically. It was just called the Moika Palace. And he was assisted by the Grand Duke Dmitri um, Pav- Pavlovich, who is Nicholas's first cousin. So the nobles, the Grand Duke, and uh, Yusupov were all in on this together. Mm-hmm. Um, they first gave Rasputin a platter of cakes and wine laced with potassium cyanide. And he's drinking and he's eating and nothing happened. They're, they're like, like, what the fuck? They're like, we're, they're what? waiting for like the poison to kick in. Yeah. And it didn't. <laughs> so like, once again, not only was this man stabbed, but now poison's just not affecting him. Can you just imagine him like looking, like them like looking around like what the fuck's happening? <laughs> like what do we do now? Like side eying each other and he's like mm, this and is so, delicious And wine. someone sigla- signaling to the other person plan B. Yeah. Plan B. Now. <laughs> so plan B was um, Prince Felix borrowed Grand Duke Dimitri's revolver and shot Rasputin multiple times and they basically left him for dead. Yeah. They're like okay we definitely killed him now. Um, This is a quote from uh, an excerpt from Prince Felix's memoir. It says, This devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by powers of evil. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. So they were like, we tried everything. He's like a cockroach. He won't die. Yeah, and they are basically like, he's like the devil incarnate almost. (laughs) Yeah. So it was said that he attempted to escape from the palace where he was shot and left for dead. Um, and then he was shot again and beaten at this point because they saw him walking around the grounds. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they then bound Rasputin and threw him into a freezing river, and they were like, if this doesn't fucking kill him, something. Yeah. It has to. Uh, I have something to add to that after you finish this part that I had read today, and I did, I forgot to put it in. Okay. Um, so he officially died December 30th of 1916, which was actually December 17th in the Russian calendar, which was used at this time. He died in St. Petersburg uh, in the Russian Empire. Uh, his battered body was actually discovered in the Malaya Nevka River a few days later, which is, I'm assuming, the frozen river they tossed him into. Mm-hmm. Prince Felix and Grand Duke Dmitri were then exiled. Okay, so I had heard or read today that when they threw him in the river, they had actually brought blocks or rocks to sink him down just in case he wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. And when they threw him over, they realized, oh, fuck, we forgot to put the rocks on him. <laughs> so they were like, well, it's too late now. And then they were like, hopefully he's dead and doesn't, like, crawl out of this river somewhere. And when they found his body two days later, he was, his body was frozen to the underside of, like, a glacier or ice or something. And they had to chip him out. Ugh. He definitely was, like, floating down the river and got and, stuck to it. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. That's he nasty. was frozen to the underside. How gross is that? Ew. That's yeah. really gross. That's really gross. <laughs> yeah. So, that was how Rasputin died, but his death over the years was dramatized. There's, like, a bunch of movies and stories out about, like, different scenarios that could have happened. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's one of them. Maybe the ice thing didn't even happen. Right. (laughs) Right. But now people are saying, like historians are saying, it probably was not as graphic as it was made out to be in most of the stories. Mm. Um, And actually, his autopsy report later said that he was. They basically said that his cause of death was from being shot at close range in the head with a gun, and that's Mm. how he died. But then I heard other reports saying that they actually found water in his lungs, which would have meant his cause of death was drowning. Which means he was actually alive when he was thrown in still. Right. Somehow. Somehow. Wow. Yeah. Maybe so he was magic. I know. He had black magic in him. I just can't believe that there's so many different reports of, like, how he died, and it's this big scene, and... Yeah. Um, so before his, his death um, in 1916, Rasputin wrote to Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas, to predict that if he were killed by the government officials, the entire imperial family would then be killed by the Russian people. Which happened. That was his prediction, which, which is actually happened. pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so his prophecy came true 15 months later when the Tsar and his wife and all of their children were murdered by assassins amidst the Russian Revolution. Which is a whole other episode. Yeah. Possibly one day. It's just crazy that that was actually something that came to light later. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, either he was really good at reading situations, as we said, or maybe he did have the gift of premonition like who knows and people weren't taking him seriously there's just so many contradicting stories it's hard to tell yeah if this man was actually a good person who had all this shit said about him by people who wanted him out Mm -hmm. or if he was actually a horrible person and who was fabricating all these things and actually like a false prophet or whatever right it is hard to tell because it was so long ago yeah So, there was public response to his death, obviously. There were mixed responses. The elite rejoiced and applauded the killers when they revealed themselves in public. And then the peasantry mourned Rasputin's death and saw the murder as an example of the nobility controlling the Tsar. And when a peasant rose to a position of influence with the Tsar, he was murdered by wealthy men. That's basically how they saw it. Yeah. And his murder was seen as an attempt by nobility to hold on to power... And then Rasputin represented the broader problems with czarism. Basically, they were like, this is why this doesn't work. Yeah. Rasputin proved it. Yeah. So, there were also random predictions made by Rasputin. This is where I'm like, nah, he's a phony. (laughs) I mean, some of these are, in a way, legit but maybe didn't have all the facts, and then some of them were like, oh my god, you fucking weirdo. Like, where did you come up with this shit? Yeah, yeah. 
So there was an 11-page file that was found signed by Rasputin about predictions in human history. And he said in 2005, Jesus would return to Earth. (laughs) Which if Jesus has come back to Earth... I missed him. Or we just don't know. True. What if God was one of us? He might be. Just a stranger. What if he was? I don't I think mean, I've met him. I definitely haven't. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So, yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe Jesus has not come back. I'm going to say nah. Yeah. So, in 2001, he predicted a massive wave of suicides, which I didn't look into that, if that actually came true or not. I don't know. In 2003, a deadly virus escaped from the U.S. labs would spread across the country. That was his prediction, and SARS did happen. We looked it up, but it didn't escape U.S. labs. Yeah, sounds a little bit like coronavirus to me, but it wasn't from U.S. labs, Maybe which is he was creepy. off by where it came from and the year. I know, and the fact Rasputin, that we're in the pandemic. It was 2020. It was 2020? Yeah. 2003. So, in 2005, he said a dramatic change in planet's climate would occur, and then Jesus would appear on Earth during a storm. So, wait. That was okay, just when he would building return. up to it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, there has been a dramatic change in climate. Right. There is such a thing as global warming, if people haven't But noticed. what was he expecting Jesus to, like, come out of the tornado or something? He's like... Step aside, let me handle this. <laughs> let me walk through this tornado. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Weird. <laughs> and he said in 2006, a sea monster in Scotland would make an appearance. Obviously, he's talking about the Loch Ness Monster. Nessie. Mm. Until being swallowed by fire. Like, are you dumb? Come on. He's probably like, none of these bitches are going to be around to see if this happens. So I'm, I just gonna I'm just going to put it. all this crazy shit out there and yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rasputin, we're here, honey, and none of this happened. <laughs> Loch Ness Monster did not get swallowed by fire. She is still alive. And she, I mean... She's thriving, from yeah, what I heard last. We love Nassie. Yeah. So, in 2013, he said, quote, The world would end, and a fire shall devour all living things. Then the planet would face a graving silence. Damn. Didn't happen. We do have, um, like, firefighters now, so maybe he didn't know that. We have local fire departments um, to control the fires. Yeah. So he was a little bit off on that one, too. He was definitely an interesting man. I didn't know really anything about him before researching. And aside from butchering all the names, it was really cool. (laughs) Like we said, people don't come at us. We tried. And I know I I said to Kelsey before, because we paused for a second, and I was like, Oh my god, I am stumbling over these names, and we have the pronunciations written down. I'm stumbling over, like, English words, <laughs> because the other ones threw me off. <laughs> yeah. But... And we're not... We're trying to be as respectful as possible, because obviously these are people's names, and these are... This is part of the Russian language, so we mm-hmm. don't... We're not making fun of any no. thing by saying it wrong. We are really trying. If anything, I'm the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that is the story of Rasputin. Tell us if you liked it. Yeah. Grigori. Tell us what you think about him. Yeah. Because we'd like to know your opinions on this man. Was he legit? Was he a kook? Was he kooky? Was he just a dirty old bastard? (laughs) With food in his beard? (laughs) I've had, we've had some feedback actually from a couple listeners saying that they... Because we were like, what do you prefer? Do you like the cult episodes? Do you like more murder episodes? And a lot of people say that they like the missing people or murder episodes more. Mm-hmm. That's like their top. Well, that's why we try to mix... We try to do more of those, but then we also obviously have to mix in yeah. cults once in a while. And maybe for you history buffs, we had to throw in some um, Rasputin. Yeah. If you <laughs> haven't watched the Disney version of Anastasia, that was my shit growing up. <laughs> And Rasputin is terrifying in that movie. Really? Terrifying. I didn't, I didn't see it. Oh my god, we're watching it tonight. <laughs> I swear, we're watching Anastasia I tonight. I swear to god, it's every end of every podcast. <laughs> oh my god, we're watching it. Oh my god. Yeah, we still have to watch Urban Legends together. But, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, Jamie said she wanted to watch that with us. She did. She actually asked me something recently. I have to find it in here because she's cracking me up. Every time I talk to her, she's like, did you ask Bryn yet? And I'm like, no, I keep fucking forgetting. <laughs> well, the Di- while you're looking for that, the Disney version of Anastasia is not, I mean, 
Possibly it's an accurate depiction of Rasputin, but obviously Disney altered things about the Romanovs and their story in order to make it more, like, media, yeah, movie-friendly, whatever. But watch it if you haven't, because that is what got me intrigued on the Romanov story and Anastasia's story when I was a kid. I'm actually just reading this text right now, and she's talking about watching Urban Legends together. You told me it. No. Uh, I know, but she brought it up again. So, have you seen the movie Misery, I'm supposed to ask you? I don't think so. Okay, then it ruins the whole thing. I'm like, what if she hasn't seen it? (laughs) She's like, well, then she has. I know she has. I don't think so. Unless I just can't remember the title. I'm supposed to to say something to you, but now it's ruined. Okay, well, I'll have to see the synopsis of the movie, and then I can tell you (laughs) more who's in it. Tell me who's in it. Yeah, we'll find that out. All right. Till next time. I don't think people want to hear us rambling on about this nonsense. Bye. Bye. Until next time. See you next Friday. Don't get slapped by Rasputin. Or do. (laughs) Or what? Or his big schlong. (laughs) (laughs) Please never say that again. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook